Welcome to the Eater Upsell, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is Amanda Clute, the editor-in-chief of Eater. I am joined by Daniel Janine. Amanda Clute. It is Tex-Mex Day. It is Tex-Mex Day. Let's get to it. What do we need to know about Tex-Mex? Okay. Tex-Mex is a regional cuisine that was born in Texas, made by Tejano people. So people who live in Texas but are of Mexican or Spanish descent. Uh, And it is very specific. It is not traditional Mexican food. It is its own thing. Right. It is food that grew out of uh, Tejanos and Tejanas. Yep. Um, cooking Mexican food using regional ingredients, regional ingredients. from Texas. Uh, and, then lot it, of, and then it grew from there. And it spread far and wide. So most Americans are probably very familiar with Tex-Mex because they've experienced something like fajitas in their local Applebee's. Yeah, or, or Taco Bell. Or hard shell tacos at Taco Bell. Right. And all kinds of dishes that maybe they even thought of as just Mexican food. Like growing up, that's what I thought Mexican food was mm-hmm. until I learned later that there's a whole country doing completely different things or subtly different things depending on what you're eating. So we're here to... Give you a little bit of the backstory of Tex-Mex, how it grew into what it did, and and put a little bit of a spotlight on it because it deserves it. It deserves to be a cuisine that is recognized all across America and all across the world. So we are going to speak with Megan McCarran, our special correspondent, who wrote a big piece about Tex-Mex and the misunderstandings around the cuisine. We're also going to talk to Mondo Rayo, a taco journalist mm-hmm. and expert in the cuisines of Texas and beyond. Uh, and then... And, and that's then, it. Yeah. That's it. That's all we got. If you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes, subscribe to it, and spread it far and wide, just like the fajita. And go get some queso. Yeah, and and go get in. some Tex-Mex. Get some queso, settle in, listen to the show. Here's Megan McCarran. Megan McCarran, welcome to The Upsell. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. So you wrote this incredible piece um, about Tex-Mex and how... The state of Tex-Mex, how people are forgetting about Tex-Mex, um, and all the complexities to it. So so what are the origins of Tex-Mex cuisine? Where did it come from? The origin of Tex-Mex is Tejano and Tejana people living in Texas from the native ingredients of that state. So it's very Mexican, but it's not like other regional Mexican cuisines. And as Texas became part of the U.S., the food started to become a much richer melange of Mexican influence, um, Anglo-American influence, and also just like what is indigenous to Texas, both like what various native communities were probably working with there in terms of ingredients and technique, but also just what still grows there. Um, and it's, it's a ranch cuisine. It's ranch food. It's cowboy food, mm. except it's vaquero food, you know? Um, and so... Right. It's like these Mexican cowboys that were in northern Mexico and, and southern U.S. I mean, they are the cowboys, right? Like, you know, this sort of myth of the white American cowboy is this... Uh, it's a myth. Um, they learned everything there was to learn from the Mexican vaqueros, who are also in Texas. Can you talk about the role that San Antonio played and, and the open-air market that was there? One of the first very famous dishes to come out of the Tex-Mex tradition is chili con carne. And chili con carne, um, which is mostly what we would just now call chili, um, was popularized by a group of women vendors in San Antonio in the late 19th century. And at that era, San Antonio was a huge railroad town. A lot of people are passing through. And people from all social classes and um, 
you know, various backgrounds would all go to eat either at the homes of these women or in this big open air market where they would set up shop. And they were all, they were called chili queens. And some of them were Tejana. Most of them were like, had some sort of Mexican ancestry or background. Um, probably some of these women were also descended from a group of Canary Islanders who came to mm. um, San Antonio and likely brought this taste for cumin, um, which is why chili con carne has a lot of cumin flavors, as does, you know, our sort of classic idea of quote unquote Mexican food. But really, we're just talking about Tex-Mex again. And then there were some Anglo women who are also vendors, but it was a very much a Mexican cuisine they were serving or a Tex-Mex cuisine. So you've mentioned a lot of of dishes. Um, Are there other other things that evolved out of Tex-Mex cuisine? Like where do fajitas play a role in, I don't know, enchiladas and Frito pie? All of these things are Tex-Mex. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, tamales are also a really important Tex-Mex food that were very popular starting in the late 19th century as a street food. And then it just sort of keeps going from there. Almost every American generation had some new kind of, you know, food they got obsessed with that's Tex-Mex and that people in Texas had been eating for a long time um, or that was invented by um Texas restauranters. So fajitas um, was pioneered by one restaurant in Houston in the 90s called Ninfa's. Um, and fajita just means um, a cut of beef, the skirt steak. And um, it's, you know, this sort of cheap, but like secretly kind of tender cut. If you grill it, it's got this really lovely texture. But as fajitas became super popular, it's sort of nonsensical to say things like shrimp fajitas or chicken fajitas because you're saying like a cut of the chicken that doesn't exist, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that sort of sizzling hot plate that we all got at like chain restaurants in the 90s um, can be traced back to Tex Mex. Right. Just make your food We will get back to Megan McCarran later in the episode, but first, here is Mondo Rayo, who is a taco journalist. A taco journalist. Thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, no problem. Why do you think it's important to to study the history of Tex-Mex and keep it separate from Mexican cuisine? Yeah, um, if you want to honor the food, if you really want to pay respect to a lot of these food traditions, then it goes back to the family. It goes back to uh, honoring and respecting uh, the people that, may, that carried through and struggled, you know, through those times. And I think that that's an important thing because food is an extension of people's culture. And that's why Tex-Mex is important in Texas because it's part of our history. You know, it's part of our people. It didn't just show up on Taco Tuesday, you know, <laughs> and, and it's interesting of how people identify as Tex-Mex food. Um, some people call it, hey, well, we'll just we're just serving Mexican food. They don't really delineate between all these different styles. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're Mexican food. But when you think about what they're serving, uh, it's more traditional Tex-Mex, you know. Mm. So, so that's that's an interesting twist on mm-hmm. things yeah. where we try to categorize it. But, you know, the, the, the restaurateurs, uh, the people that are making that have been making these food for generations, they consider themselves 
you know, some people say, oh, I'm making Tejano food or I'm making uh, Mexican food, you know? So, so mm-hmm. it all depends on their, their kind, of, kind of like their point of view, too. Do you have any memory of when you first saw a Taco Bell pop up or when you first saw uh, Chili's serve a fajita? Um, it, it, you know, growing up for me, uh, we always had a Taco Bell. And I, I would, you know, I ate at Taco Bell when I was growing up because it was like, you know, I, I, I ate at the... At the what right. do you call the the um, the Jack and the Jack and the Crack Super ninety nine cent tacos <laughs> with the mystery meat and the Jack in the Box? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so so you it's interesting how, you know, what what you get introduced to as as a Mexican. You know, you get introduced to that home cooking, you know, from your mom or your grandmother, and then you also get introduced to it through this commercialization of that food. Um, so I yeah. remember very clearly. Sorry, so your mom and your grandma were cooking Tex-Mex food at home, right? Yeah, they were making, they were making, I would say there were some foods that were Tex-Mex, but definitely some that were more Mexican. So there was a, right. like a fluid, you know, it's a fluid thing. Just like if it's a, if it's a flour tortilla, yeah. I mean, mostly we grew <laughs> up with flour tortilla. But then like more, more of the, you know, being, uh, depending on the region, it's the style of food, like whether it's, we ate a lot of carnitas growing up or, or guisados growing up too. And that's more traditional Mexican. And what did your mom and your grandma think about, um, Jack in the Box and about, uh, Taco Bell? Oh, you know, they were fine with it. They're fine with it. You know, they, they're like, you know, it's not my cooking, but Right. Supportable, you know. <laughs> yeah, they they were they were uh, you know the the only thing was like the the big competition at home was like who makes their their salsa the spiciest. <laughs> yeah. So so there was no there was no spite from them. In other words, they weren't worried that these fast food chains were were hurting the perception of the food they were cooking. Um, I would say uh, I would say no. Um, definitely when you think about more like people like me or scholars that are interested in preserving those stories, then yes. But, you know, I think regular mom and pop were there to, you know, feed their families, focus (laughs) on just feeding their families. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on carrying the traditions, you know, one family member at a time. And, uh, yeah, so they, they weren't so much interested in in this idea of at least not in my family you know they're like hey we have our traditions we have our way of doing it and we're going to teach you how to do it mcdonald's and taco bell have their own way but that's not you know and we'll go out and and, and eat but it's not part of a you know part of our culture it's not part of our culture so so they're not like they're they're stealing from us it's more of like well that's not even our culture how do you how do you feel about it these days right yeah no um i won't I won't really touch it, um, uh, even if people bring bring it to me, you know. And, and for me, like it's it's. Uh, I think it's good that it's out there because it mm-hmm. introduces another generation to a version of Mexican food, even if it's bastardized. So right. what it does, it's like, oh, I haven't tried a taco. Let's go to Taco Bell. Come next time. Let's try a real taco. It's the gateway. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think part of that is you know, uh, a food is a great equalizer. You know, 
Uh, somebody will try a new style of food uh, before they try to meet a new type of person. You know, it, I mean, to be honest, like we wouldn't have this big taco craze that we're going through right now if it wasn't for Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah. no, you know? that's really interesting. Uh, they put it out. They put it out in the mainstream, and people are eating it, eating it up, and that's great. But now, like the food, the foodies and the food conscious folks, people are just like, all right, yeah, I've had my Taco Bell filled. What's next? What's another? You know, they always. Buzzword is authentic place, you know. <laughs> but what's a yeah, great place course. to try that 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 is the opposite of Taco Bell? And so again, like that 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 I think that has been like a gateway, just like Starbucks. You know, Starbucks is like, you know, to the coffee snobs, it's like you know the worst. And I, I I'm I'm not a, a Starbucks fan, but I I understand the value of what they did to introduce, yeah. you know, espresso into america you know so it's kind of like a very similar process you know and all of a sudden you have taco bell uh, you know 15 20 in a city and people are being introduced to this term called a taco when they haven't although they're they're also being introduced to a lot of bastardizations of of mexican food mm-hmm. so. <laughs> <laughs> right right it does it does come with some downsides yeah, it does it does but it is a gateway you know it opened it up there, i think there's a place for them in this this world of tex-mex and mexican food for sure mm-hmm. and still a place for the mo- mom and pops across texas a- exactly there's a place for the mom and pop shops and i think people are smarter now that they're like okay and depending on, you know, their diets and, and their circumstances and what's readily available, I think that, that that's a good thing, you know. Although I do, I do think uh, Tex-Mex gets a bad rap um, because they, they are, it's always called the cheap food, cheap Mexican, or like you have, you have people here are like, you know, not willing to buy, you know, pay a lot of money for, for, for a Tex-Mex plate to... You know, you have, you know, Mexicans, uh, they could be Mexican chefs or, you know, or just, you know, Mexicans here in, 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 in the U.S. or even, you know, in Mexico, you know, saying that's not real Mexican. And, and so they, they as, as well as, as, as uh, uh, the, the ones living here, uh, you know, talk, they, they talk trash about it, you know. And so, so I think that's interesting. Um, because I don't think Tex-Mex ever said they were real Mexican. <laughs> right, right. It's its yeah. own regional cuisine. Yeah, it's its own regional cuisine, and people people just have a hard time with that. Awesome. Well, I love thank it. Thank you so much, Mondo. Thank you, Mondo. And for okay. our listeners, everyone should pick up Mondo's book, uh, The Tacos of Texas. Tacos of Texas. That was Mondo Rayo. Here is Megan McCarran to talk about America's perception of Tex-Mex and get her side of that. There's also with Tex-Mex kind of this reputation, and maybe that's just been recently or just in food media, that it's inauthentic or or it's just like cheesy and, and I don't know, like mass produced or it's, it's not healthy and it doesn't come from anywhere. And where is that coming from? Because it's not true. Yeah. It's coming from a couple of different places. Um, Rob Walsh does sort of say, and he has very deep roots in Texas, which I do not have, that what he saw happen, he wrote a couple books about Tex-Mex. And one thing that did happen was 
In the first half of the 20th century, there are a lot of Tex-Mex restaurants run by these families who had very deep roots in Texas. Um, and they were cooking everything from scratch. And then Taco Bell came in and sort of created the sense that Mexican food should be cheap. And these restaurateurs had to respond by cheapening their food, like maybe like bringing in more commodity cheese or like cutting some corners on scratch cooking because their customers expected the food to be cheaper. So one of the things that happened, which happened across America in a lot of different ways at that time, is the rise of our processed food culture did result in more processed food in Tex-Mex. There's actually kind of a specific villain to the inauthentic Tex-Mex story, and it is Diana Kennedy. One who you wouldn't suspect, yes. Diana Kennedy. Um, <laughs> hero, hero to many. She she screwed up in this one, where she, yep. <laughs> um, you know, she's a, for those who don't know who Diana Kennedy is, Diana Kennedy is... Um, a white British woman who was married to a New York Times correspondent uh, who was stationed in Mexico City, I believe. And she became super interested in, you know, all the different varieties of Mexican food she was encountering, which at the time was actually not valued by the sort of upper and upper middle classes in Mexico City. They sort of were like, oh, that's peasant food. We want to eat like Europeans. Whereas Diana Kennedy was like, um, this mole has 26 ingredients and it's incredible. So on one hand, like she did kind of see something at the right time in a way that like some writers would say had helped preserve some cuisines that might've otherwise been lost. But then mm -hmm. she came to the U S and, um, one of her big boosters was Craig Claiborne, the, you know, king of everything food at the New York times at the time. And she started going on tour and giving cooking classes and saying things like, this isn't the glop that you're getting at these American Tex-Mex restaurants. Like, this is really, truly amazing cuisine. And um, Rob Walsh has another, excites another interesting story by, um, you know, second generation Tex-Mex restaurateur in Austin who says he went to one of Kennedy's cooking classes and she was like, this isn't that Tex-Mex food. This is the real Mexican food. And this guy, Matt Martinez, was like, uh, this is my family's food and we're Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> and we have like three extremely successful and good restaurants. So I don't know what that's about. So, um, and that sort of captures. Did she, did she have a response? I don't know if he actually said it to her, but like mm. he sort of says that that's, that was his reason to like retake the Tex-Mex label. Because no one said right. Tex-Mex, people would say Mexican food. By appealing to this sort of elite of the food world or people who could fancy themselves gourmands by being saying by Kennedy saying like, oh, this is the real Mexican food um, that promulgated this idea in America that this regional cuisine as complex as any other American regional cuisine, you know, it's as complex as anything we're fetishizing right now coming out of various regions in the South. Uh, was actually crap, you know? Mm. Um, right. And this happens a lot to food cooked by people who aren't white in America. You know, American Chinese food is actually another really unique, profoundly American cuisine, but people think it's, you know, this sort of inauthentic crap, right? So there's that's sort mm -hmm. of why authenticity is so poisonous and so poisonous for people outside a group to deploy. So Diana Kennedy's heart was in the right place, but she came here and put it. Was it? I don't 
I don't know. (laughs) I think she's just a complicated (laughs) figure who didn't see past any of her own biases. You know, she saw herself seeing past some other biases she encountered in a culture she didn't even know that well. And probably she didn't understand those biases either. But she just didn't really interrogate where she was coming from and who she might hurt by sort of taking this stance and positioning herself as an expert in all Mexican food forever. Amen. This week's episode of the Eater Upsell is brought to you by Travel Portland. If you listened last week, you will remember that Amanda Clute is a huge Portland fan. Big fan. Yeah. The wine, the beer, the nature. And the crazy restaurant scene. And the crazy restaurant scene. Pock Pock. Great. Okay. Maurice. Awesome. What else? Ox? Oh my God. There's so many great restaurants. And how, it's not like crazy expensive like New York? Affordable. Uh, also, so close to nature. A lot of great beer, a lot of great wine. Oh, also, I read today on Eater that they got their first ever pinball bar in Portland. Oh, wow. That's worth it mm-hmm. all on its own. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they have great coffee. You love coffee. I love coffee. Uh, I just drank a lot of coffee, and I think I'm going to head to TravelPortland.com because you can, you can. in Portland. You can I in can Portland. in Portland. Even Dan can in Portland. Even Dan can? <laughs> <laughs> That's our new slogan. Great. I also think it's interesting that there's a dual villain and it's Diana Kennedy on one end and also Taco Bell yes. on the other. <laughs> yes. It's like these two forces when combined. That's the other thing. And like, you know, Taco Bell, again, complicated, you know, both sort of usurped and warped a lot of ideas about what Mexican food should be in the U.S., but also introduced a lot of stuff to a lot of Americans. Um, you know, a lot of this stuff is super complicated. But yeah, I I think, and also, you know, Tex-Mex in the 90s spread around the world in the, in the, embodied in a couple different chains, most notably Chili's. Um, Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I forgot about Chili's. Yeah. And so this sort of, and like this happened over and over again, where Tex-Mex sort of like is, becomes popularized by, um, you know, often women cooks, women Tejana cooks, invent a new dish or popularize a new dish. And then it is sort of captured by American big business, most often run by white men. And like someone else makes a fortune off of it. You know, this happened with chili powder. It happens with canned chili. It happens with tamales. It happens with um, chilies, you know, and sort of taking those fajitas and making millions of dollars off them. So You know, I think when people talk about authenticity, they're often kind of talking about corporations making a profit off of food that is actually very specific and deeply rooted. And that I can kind of take a more critical, you know, squinty eyed look at. If we fast forward to 2018, um, is Tex-Mex fading in Texas? Is it in danger? It's sort of in this funny position that a lot of our traditional affordable American foods are where the classic family restaurants are still fairly abundant. Some are still good. Some are resting on laurels or like have sort of slipped off. And in every Texas city, there's still a ton of Tex-Mex restaurants and you go to them sometimes because you want a margarita or you want a plate of enchiladas 
Um, but they're not sort of valued and they're not being protected or written about or, um, you know, sort of their history uh, added to the narrative of Texas in a way that they should be. And the way, the reason I know this is because it's happening with barbecue. So Mm. um, barbecue, Texas barbecue is incredibly important. I love it. I think it's the first thing that I experienced in Texas that really helped me understand how interesting the food culture was there in part because I didn't go grow up going to the Chili's equivalent of a Texas barbecue restaurant, right? Um, as an outsider, I could see barbecue as unique because this was before Franklin barbecue became really famous when I moved there. Um, but, and Texas barbecue is not a cuisine invented or mastered by white people. It has a really long tradition of black pitmasters, but the current fetish for it and trend for it is definitely around these establishments owned by white families or like headed by white men. And so, you know, these, and I, and when I was the editor of Eater Austin, I would interview people who were like, again, third generation barbecue cooks, um, third generation barbecue restauranteurs who said they thought their family's business was going to fail. But because of the Texas Monthly Barbecue List, because of all the TV people who want to now come shoot at barbecue restaurants, because of Aaron Franklin, Hmm. these businesses are thriving. And they're also sort of the you know, the generation of people our age are coming back. They're learning from their grandparents. They are innovating where they can innovate. And there's a lot of dynamism there. And so there's a push in 2013 to make smoked brisket the state dish of Texas. Uh, You know, brisket had become the ambassador of Texas, the way that chili had been. And, you know, most chili parlors in Texas are dying off or no one orders chili anymore. You know, maybe they get it on their enchilada, but they don't even think of that as getting chili. What do you, what do you think that barbecue has that Tex-Mex doesn't? What people say is like why Tex-Mex might be dying is they say, oh, it's, it's not like it's, it's not healthy. Um, oh, it's unhealthy. Oh, it's um, just such a part of Texas that people don't see it anymore. Uh, you know, it's not very good. It's full of meat, you know, all these kind of things. It's greasy. It's heavy. Um, I don't know if you've like ever tried to eat, you know, a bunch of more than one barbecue meal a week, but like (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's heavy. It's old fashioned. You feel like crap after you eat it and (laughs) it's not very good for you. So, you know, all these sort of things that we say about Tex-Mex, why it might be going away is, um, disproven by the love of barbecue You know, I think Tex-Mex in some ways was too successful for its own good. So sometimes people can't see what they have because it's spread across the U.S. and been embraced and memed and, you know, turned into a profit center like so many times. You know, the margarita craze is another Tex-Mex thing that started Mm -hmm. in the 70s. Um, So I think some of it's like barbecue was kind of in Texas, it was able to both survive in its traditional scratch wood smoked form in a way it didn't a lot of the rest of the South. And also it did get a little forgotten and it's the sort of perfect food for um, an era obsessed with traditional wood smoked um, (laughs) meaty kind of dishes. 
But also, you know what barbecue has that Tex-Mex doesn't is there's a story to tell about barbecue that's about white men mastering something, you know, and Tex-Mex <laughs> should not have that story and doesn't have that story. So hmm. I think it speaks to a really long history of Texas, which is a 50% Mexican state trying to define itself as a white place with a white culture, which is just bullshit. And I think it's just, there's a lot of myopia in the very white food media. So that's the real answer in my opinion. Is it also that maybe, is barbecue easier for tourists and people visiting to catalog? Like cross off a list? Yeah. Well, I mean, the existence of a barbecue ranking and of a barbecue list is like, cannot be discounted in all this, Um, Mm, you know? And I don't have, any shade or disrespect for Daniel Vaughn. He loves barbecue. He understands barbecue. You know, he has sort of noticed some of his own blind spots. Um, you know, he mentioned that for a long time he ranked literally by quality of brisket and nothing else, um, <laughs> which is great for TV producers and great for pe- like, you know, people who want to come in and experience the top five of something. But he literally, as a, like, as a result, he ended up leaving off um, a lot of the state's most important black pitmasters who are still around because brisket is sort of an Anglo barbecue dish primarily in Texas. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's super fun to come to Austin and like tick your way through the top five brisket places and road trip up to, um, snows or go down to Lockhart, something I've done with friends a million times and I have recommendations for all of it. Um, so yeah, I do think barbecue thanks to Texas monthly, but also because it's just literally a slab of smoked meat did have some sort of narrative clarity, but there isn't really any reason there are just as many centrally located Tex-Mex restaurants in Austin as there are barbecue restaurants and most of them have been there longer. And they're also super fun to go to with your friends. Um, and there is even sort of the breakfast taco, which is a Tex-Mex dish, not invented by Austin, definitely not mastered by white people, even though lots of people will tell you otherwise. Um, <laughs> and that's another sort of dish that's very simple that you can go and experience and crawl. And a lot of people do. So I think this could also already be happening with Tex-Mex, um, but people don't even know to call it Tex-Mex. They just call it breakfast tacos. Well, uh, Megan, how can we, the people, support Tex-Mex to bring it back into the spotlight that it deserves. Not as writers, but as eaters. As, as listeners eaters, and as eaters. Listeners. Well, first of all, if you live in Texas and you have one Tex-Mex restaurant you know you love and don't go to enough, start going there more and explore others around your city and consider learning, you know, doing a little Googling of various restaurants that you are happy to go to, but maybe don't know the story behind because often these stories are really beautiful family stories that tell you a lot about the place you live. So I would start there. And I think if you are visiting Texas, you know, make a bucket list of Tex-Mex restaurants. I think every local eater site in Texas has a wonderful Tex-Mex map. Um, Follow that as obsessively as you do your barbecue map and see if you don't enjoy your visit to Texas a lot more. And I think... You know, for folks who don't have the great good fortune to either visit or live in Texas, you know, if a Tex-Mex restaurant opens in your city, check it out. And, you know, don't expect it to be cheap or don't expect it to be 
inauthentic or don't, you know, sort of go on Yelp and call the food dirty and gloppy, you know, like need it on its own terms. <laughs> Please don't go on Yelp ever, friends. Please don't go on Yelp. <laughs> also, just don't go on Yelp. Just but, you know, Yelp. and also, I mean, if there are critics listening to this, um, I don't know if they are. <laughs> Probably not. But, oh, they are. Oh, they are. Um, really consider how you write about Tex-Mex and write about it as an important American regional cuisine with really interesting history and a lot of profound um, contributions to America and not as an inauthentic version of something like, you know, that we should just discard and be done with. Hmm. Perfect. Great advice. And Instagram it. And gram it. (laughs) Gram it. Tag tag me. I want to know. (laughs) <laughs> tag at what's your what's your handle at Megan McCarran with Megan an H? McCarran with an H just like the future princess <laughs> <laughs> love it all right Instagram at tag Megan tag us and um, thank you so much thank you always a pleasure to talk to you guys Amanda Clute Dan I was eating at Havelina oh my goodness yeah I was editing this last night and and while I, eating queso at Havelina no, Havelina editing- by the way is a Tex-Mex restaurant in yeah. New York. Yeah. Much hyped when it opened, but maybe not universally beloved. Not universally beloved in my own mind. Either. <laughs> uh, but no, I was editing this thing and I was just like, I have never had this because everyone always asks, oh man, like, are you editing food all day and and you just, you're starving? And no, not no. usually, but I was really thinking about Tex-Mex. And, and I think actually that is one of the great things about doing this and really focusing on a single thing. And like, I truly did not give a shit about queso dip. Yeah. A week ago. You know? Like yeah. I did not care about fajitas. I just thought they were the thing from Chili's. And now I am going to genuinely pay them a lot more respect and really think about them. Two two related things. Yeah. When I was just in Mexico this weekend, Mexico City, and Wow, really going above and beyond. I'm just saying, yeah, yes, just for the show, for mm-hmm. research. And as I was eating a lot of that food, it made me think about the conversations we were having and what food did make it up to Texas, which foods are actually Mexico, Mexican, yeah. um, and like how they do have enchiladas there and they do have quesadillas there, but they're very different than the kinds of things you would get in Texas yeah. or that expanded up north. And then also I had a friend of mine who lives in Brooklyn and is from California and loves Calmex mm-hmm. and is desperate for someone to open some Calmex or Tex-Mex restaurant in Brooklyn because it is very distinct from like the regional, very specific Mexican restaurants that are now very trendy. So like Claro is a trendy restaurant in Brooklyn right now. And mm-hmm. it's, it's very like regional Mexican. It's not you're not getting refried beans or burritos or Tex-Mex classics like the enchiladas that we might have grown up with. And she's like so heated about it yeah Yeah. she needs it she wants someone to open it (laughs) right Uh, it's funny actually in talking to people that love Tex-Mex I think uh, even even before this my my friends that are from Texas have an obsession and a like a craving for Tex-Mex in a way that I have not heard other people obsess over another food and I have to admit that when I started getting into food I was almost a Diana Kennedy type thinking like oh well this is the glop that I grew up with, but the true Mexican yeah. is what you get in Mexico City or Oaxaca or wherever, the Yucatan, and not realizing that like this is actually a real, real cuisine, as Megan was pointing out. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, another thing that's that I love about this is like we, we did this whole thing talking about Tex Mex and not Mexican food, but 
the end of the day, the line is also kind of blurry. Yeah, exactly. These it's are, all about where your regions yeah, are. Yeah. And it's just arbitrary where the state line happens to be. And it's so funny that uh, Mondo talks about his mom and, and we're like, oh, man, homemade Tex-Mex. So yeah. <laughs> real. She was a legend. And he's right. like, he's like. She didn't think about Tex-Mex. She was just cooking dinner. Yeah, and that a lot of the people running Tex-Mex places in Texas, they yeah. just say it's Mexican food. You know? Right. Because they're like, yeah, right. this we are. my family's from Mexico, and we make Mexican food, yeah. even though it's queso. I think it is helpful, though, in terms of driving traffic and making sure people look at these the same way. Like, categorization is something that is crucial. It's to, useful, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, it, again, it's like it's what we do. It's not what the actual creators are doing. Right. Um, anyway, we really hope that you categorize this as a great episode, great podcast episode. <laughs> go eat some queso. Uh, yeah, go eat some Tex-Mex and love it. And we will see you next week with, with food stories. Mo- with the best food stories best of food stories of May. May. We're gonna come at you a little early, but you know. No, it's gonna air on the thirtieth. Oh, it's gonna air on the thirtieth. Great. So we're not gonna miss any stories. Nope. We'll get it all in there. <laughs> So thanks so much for listening. We are recording in the Vox Media Studios in New York, New York. Vox Media's engineer is Miles Yule. Carrie Clements handles all of our studio bookings, and our exec producer is MGF Maureen Giannone Fitzgerald. I am Daniel Janine. That is Amanda Clute. Hey. Peace out. <laughs>